All right, Don, I'm ready. You want me to take the opening, huh? Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. It's 2019. As I record this, I thought I'd come on and just say that I've um, added a little bit to this podcast, so it's a little different than our normal ones. So we're going to start out with the episode from 1949, the second episode of 1949. Then uh, in that episode, uh, the Coleman's are Jack's guests. They're always great on there. After that, then we go to the Phil Harris show, and the Phil Harris show is about an engagement ring. Should be a great episode. After that, we flip over to jumping back ten years to get Jack Benny at uh, one of his great lunch counter episodes. I always love those episodes when they go and have uh, lunch and the folks that are behind the scenes. Everything's great about that. But he does talk about the Screen Guild Theater that he was on at the time, or he made an appearance on. So I've also included that. The other person that appeared on the Screen Guild Theater, and that closes out our night that uh, as a fourth episode, but the person that appears on Screen Guild Theater with Jack, uh, well, at least one of the people, is Judy Garland. So it became part of our Judy Garland series of shows that we present that has intros um, by Mindy and Mindy does such a great job with those intros I think she does a better job than any of the rest of us really and if you like this when you hear her intro because I'm going to I brought across the one with her intro on it so when you hear her intro listen to that and if you really like that and if you of course enjoy Judy Garland I would really suggest you go to our other podcast sometimes which is uh Judy Garland, the Judy Garland and Friends OTR podcast. And I, I really think of them as networks. You've got the Jack Benny podcast network that you're listening to now. And I have my Judy Garland podcast network that runs Bing Crosby shows and Railroad Hour and Al Jolson and just a bunch of great shows over there that I think you should check out. Uh, so if you haven't yet, make sure to go to Judy Garland's. And if you just type in Judy Garland podcast, it's the one that'll show up on any browser, and you can and you can get there. Uh, the other thing I'd, I thought I'd say: some of the intros you're going to hear tonight and ev- and every night, you know, basically I present shows. Some of them are from ten years ago, some of them are from five years ago. You can kind of play and guess at which how old they are. You can usually kind of tell by the sound of my voice and how many times I say um um um, <laughs> how early they are in the process. I've gotten a little better at that over time. The other thing I thought I would say is that uh, why we've been gone for, uh, or, or why this last week has been crazy. You haven't gotten all that many podcasts this last week because we had a windstorm over here. My computer got messed up because uh, I lost power, and so I've had to like fix it. And I think I've, we're back in good shape again. But in fixing it, one of the things I bumped into was a new version of Dropbox that lets me sync up better to my computer and I had to pay an extra hundred dollars for that but it works really really well I'm really gonna enjoy it it's gonna make 
podcasting a lot easier but it reminds us that we can only keep surviving as a podcast as long as you folks keep donating to help the podcast go i thank you all of you folks that have donated recently that's fantastic uh, but we could use more donations coming in. So if you can go to either uh, the Jack Benny OTR podcast page on Potomatic, or if you can go to the Judy Garland podcast page on Potomatic, both of them on the right-hand side have where you can click down and do monthly payments if you want to do $2 a month or $6 a month or whatever you want. That's a great way to do it. Or you can do a one-time payment. A lot of people like to do $39 a year, and that's fine too. Whatever you're comfortable with, if you can afford to, to help us out, that would be delightful. Uh, and uh, right now, Rob's <laughs> down a, uh, his tablet's not working so hot, so we're looking at maybe trying to buy him a computer and things, so uh, we could definitely use the donations. Anyway, without further ado, here's going to be an old intro, and then we'll get into the first show. Enjoy your evening. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the Jack Benny Show from the 1948-1949 season. Today's episode, um, I'm not going to talk about it very much. Well, at all, really. <laughs> uh, I'm going to talk about last week's episode a little bit. Uh, I had a lot of folks tune into that, and um, you can tell a lot of folks uh, really like Jimmy Stewart. Well, I had some Jimmy Stewart news uh, come up later in the week that I didn't give a chance to share with you folks. Uh, this last summer, I presented some of the uh, Jimmy Stewart show from, I think, 1972. Um, and uh, we had we printed the audio. Uh, it was not available on DVD at the time. Well, now it is just, uh, it, it's just this month going to be released on DVD, the whole, um, the complete uh, series. I believe it's 27 or 28 episodes, something like that. And it's going for about 30 bucks, so it's pretty cheap, really. Um, I'm going to go ahead and connect to that. Uh, I, I think if you try and order it now, it's a pre-order, uh, but I think it comes out like next week or the week after, So, which is really cool. Uh, anyway, so I'm going to connect to that. And also, uh, he had a series, series called Hawkins, that came out after that in 1973 or 1974 that's basically very similar to a Matlock, I guess, would be the most similar series I can think of. There was only about nine episodes of it. I think there's only eight uh, that actually are on the DVD. They're missing one episode. Um, but anyway, if you ever want to get that, you can get that as well, but that's kind of expensive. I think it's like $40 for the eight episodes or something like that, so it's kind of overpriced. But if you're a Jimmy Stewart Completist, it's just neat that both these series are available, the only two series that he was ever in for television. Um, and so I will definitely uh, put out links to both of those on this episode. Uh, the third thing, the third series, I guess, from Jimmy Stewart is that he was in The Six Shooter, which was the um, radio show that I've presented many times before. But that radio show um, became a television show called The Restless Gun. And in The Restless Gun, they used a lot of those same scripts. And uh, But it starred John Payne instead of Jimmy Stewart. Uh, but that complete series is also available, which is really cool. It's a great Western series. It's one of my favorites. 
So um, I'll do links to all three on t- today's episode. So if you want to get any of those Jimmy Stewart um, uh, television shows or the derivative show of the Jimmy Stewart radio show, which is Restless Gun, you can do that. Anyway, enjoy today's Jack Benny show. Um, we're going to uh, we've um, been putting a poll out there for which. Um, radio shows you like the most. I figured out how to put a poll on my site, so I'll put that, I'll connect that poll up to this site too, or to uh, tonight's podcast, so that you can vote, whether you're going to vote for um, Suspense, or Gunsmoke, or Jack Benny, or any of the shows I bring you, to, so I can see which ones are the most popular. Uh, you can vote for more than one show, so you can vote for your three top shows, your four or five, whatever. Whatever shows you really like the most, make sure you um, vote for those so that I can see... Uh, who likes what? Thank you so very much, and we'll see you next time. The Jack Benny Program, presented by Lucky Strike. Feeling low. Feeling tense. These eight words are common sense. Smoke a lucky. To feel your level best Smoke a lucky To feel your level best Your level best That's just how you'll feel when you light up a lucky Because Lucky's fine tobacco Picks you up when you're low Calms you down when you're tense Puts you on the right level to feel and do your level best It's important to know that fine tobacco can do this for you And LSMFT, LSMFT Lucky Strike means fine tobacco Mild, ripe, light tobacco that makes a grand smoke So next time you buy cigarettes, remember Lucky's fine tobacco picks you up when you're low Calms you down when you're tense Puts you on the lucky level where you feel your best And do your best Yes, smoke a Lucky to feel your level best the Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, yours truly Don Wilson, and our guest, Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's go out to Jack Benny's home in Beverly Hills, where we find Rochester helping Jack fix up his scrapbook. Uh, Rochester, have you got the scissors? Yeah, I'm cutting something out of the front page of the Pasadena News. It's a picture of you kissing the Queen of the Rose Parade. Oh, yes. Gee, that is a nice picture of me, isn't it? And some color, too. It would be even nicer if your eyelashes weren't so gray. (laughs) Rochester, my lashes aren't gray. Just that my eyes are so blue, they pick up lint. (laughs) Now, Rochester, I've got enough clippings for my scrapbook. I better start pasting them in. Boss, I looked everywhere, but I can't find the glue. Well, just mix some flour and water. That'll make a good paste. I thought of that, too, but we're all out of flour. We're out of flour? Yeah, yesterday I had hardly enough to finish begging the bread. Well, if we're short of flour, why'd you bake so much bread? I had to. Barbara Stanwyck ordered four extra loaves. (laughs) Oh. With raisins yet. (laughs) Well, why don't you run over to the Coleman's and borrow a cup of... Hey, wait a minute. I haven't seen Mr. Coleman for quite a while. 
Hand me a cup. I'll go get the flour. Here you are. I'll be right back, Rochester. Hmm. As long as I'm going over, I really should have brought a larger cup. <laughs> oh, well, I guess this cup will be all right. Can it be the trees that fill the breeze with rare and... Gee, there are a lot of people out today. La, 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 la. Thank you. Yeah, I better go around the back door. Gee, the Coleman's keep their lawn nice and... Oh, isn't that cute? A garbage can shaped like an Oscar. <laughs> you just lift up the head and throw the stuff in. When I make my next picture, maybe they'll give me a garbage can. I mean, an Oscar. <laughs> Oh, it's you, Mr. Benny. Oh, hello, Sherwood. Is Mr. Coleman in? Uh, yes, yes. He's in the library. Well, could you tell him that I, I, I'd i like to borrow a cup of flour? Oh, there's no need to tell him. I'll give you the flour. Oh, shall I come in? Uh, that won't be necessary. <laughs> I'll sift it to you through the screen door. <laughs> I have the sack hmm. right here on the shelf. What is that? Hmm. Oh, by the way, Sherwood, I tried to call Mr. Coleman on the phone this morning, but I couldn't get him. Did he change his number since I talked to him last week? Yes, sir, three times. <laughs> oh, well, I hope he got the one he likes. Will this be enough flour, Mr. Benny? Yes, yes, I'm just going to use it to make a little paste. You see, I'm working on my scrapbook, and I'm sticking in the many things that have been said about me. You save those? <laughs> Yes, yes. Well, thanks for the shower, Flurwood. I mean, thanks for the flowers. You're sir, quite welcome, sir. <laughs> this weather, my tongue froze there. <laughs> well, I'm... Yeah, I must ask the Coleman's to put a gate in the back so I won't have to walk clear out to the sidewalk. Hmm. There's Ronnie's long underwear hanging on the line. He's got a gate in those. <laughs> Oh, Jack, Jack! Oh, hello, Mary. Hey, come on in the house, Mary. Well, I haven't got time. I just stopped by to ask if I could skip rehearsal tomorrow. Skip rehearsal? Why? Well, my sister babe is coming in from Plainfield, and she's trying to forget a broken romance. Oh, no, not Sebastian. <laughs> no, no, a new one. Oh. And she was so in love with him, they were all ready to elope. The ladder was up against the house, the window was open, and Babe was so embarrassed. Why? He wasn't home. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. What, what did she do? Well, as long as she was up there, she painted the house. <laughs> well, when a guy gives you the brush, I guess you must use it. Mary, who was that, 
Mary, you know you got to ad lib once in a while. <laughs> Mary, who was this? Uh, who was this new love of hers? Well, I don't know his name, but she said he was making good money. He was a glass blower. A glass blower? Yeah. Whenever Babe went out with her, Mama could always tell when he'd kissed her. How? When Babe came home, her head would be three times its size. <laughs> three times its size? That was when he gave her a plain kiss. Once he got fancy and her head looked like a Studebaker. <laughs> Good old Babe. I knew she could do it. <laughs> Say, Mary, why don't you come in for a little while? Oh, no, no, Jack. I've got to run along now. See you later. Okay. Gee, that's a nice Cadillac Mary has I would have gotten one too But they didn't make them then <laughs> Those days they only had three models Maxwell, Saxons, and horses <laughs> Oh, Rochester Rochester, I got the flour So we, we can make the uh, you paste You won't need it now, boss I found some glue I've already pasted things in the book Wait a minute This stuff doesn't seem to be sticking very well Rochester, is this glue fresh? Fresh? Only two days ago, it was eight to one at Santa Anita. <laughs> what? I had him across the board, wind, place, and mucilage. No. Well, how do you like that? I'll get the door. Oh, hello, Dennis. Hello, Mr. Benny. I just came over to tell you the good news. Good news? What? I finally got two tickets for the Rose Bowl game. <laughs> Two tickets for the Rose Bowl game? Dennis, that game was played almost three weeks ago I know, that's why they're so hard to get now <laughs> Dennis Dennis, come in a minute now, look, now let me get this straight Maybe I'm the one that's confused Are these tickets for the game that was just played Or the one that's going to be played next year? What do you care? I'm not taking you <laughs> Dennis, I can't stand this crazy talk. Now, do me a favor, will you? Go outside and come back in again. Okay. Oh, hello, Dennis. Howdy, bub. <laughs> well, that's better. Now you're Titus Moody. Yep, and I've got two tickets to the Rose Bowl game. Now, put that up! Look, kid, what did you come over here for, anyway? Well, I, I wanted you to hear the song I'm going to do on the program. Well, why didn't you say so? Let's hear it, will you? Okay, ya? okay. Oh. oh, Clancy was a peaceful man, if you know what I mean. The cops picked up the pieces after Clancy left the scene. He never looked for trouble, that's a fact you can assume. But nevertheless, when trouble would press, Clancy lowered the boom. Oh, that Clancy... Oh, that Clancy Whenever they got his Irish up Clancy Lord the boom, 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 boom O'Leary was a fighting man They all knew he was tough He strutted round the neighborhood to shooting off his guff He picked a fight with Clancy Then and there he sealed his doom Before you could shout O'Leary, look out! Clancy Lord the boom Oh, that Clancy Oh, that Clancy Whenever they got his Irish up, Clancy lowered the boom, 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 boom. Now Clancy left the barber shop with tonic on his hair. He walked into the pool room and he met O'Reilly there. O'Reilly said, for goodness sakes, now do I smell perfume? Before you could stack your cue in the rack, Clancy lowered the boom. Oh, that Clancy, 
You sang that beautifully Yeah, I heard it Wasn't bad, kid Phil, I didn't see you Why didn't you tell me you were here? Well, I didn't want to intrude While you were so enraptured By Mr. Day's musical rendition <laughs> Phil Phil, that come out of you? Why? What's so incongruous about that? <laughs> incongruous? Listen to me, Jackson I'm trying to improve myself In literature, in English And, and even in music Music, too, huh? Well, that I'm glad to hear uh, Certainly, Jackson I just came from the library Where I picked up this book On music by Groffet Oh, Ferdy Groffet? No, his brother George George Groffet? I never heard of him Well, here's the book right here I've been reading it all morning There it is on the cover George Groffet That's geography <laughs> I knew it couldn't last Phil, if you want to learn about... Dennis, get away from my scrapbook and... Dennis, stop drinking out of that bottle. It's glue. Dennis, it's glue. Oh, my goodness. Dennis, speak to me. <laughs> oh, stop with those imitations. You better stop it, kid If you want to get any place in show business You've got to stop being ridiculous, ludicrous, incompetent, and uncouth Phil, where'd you learn all those words? Well, they're in my contract with Rexall What? Right under the sobriety clause <laughs> Phil, do you know what sobriety means? No, what? It means that according to that contract You're not allowed to take a drink Holy smoke, I've signed my life away <laughs> Phil... Phil, denatured boy. <laughs> Do me a favor. Pick up Dennis in that geography book and let's... Oh, I have a wonderful contract with my sponsor, Colgate. I don't have to sign anything. We just shake hands. Really? Yeah, but I think he's nearsighted. Your sponsor nearsighted? Why? When my option came up, instead of shaking my hand, he grabbed me by the throat. <laughs> well, if you gave him that Rose Bowl routine, I don't blame him. Now, look, kids. Boss! Boss! What is it, Rochester? I was preparing your lunch, and I find we're all out of butter. We're all out of butter? Well, you know what to do. I'm on my way. <laughs> Mr. Coleman, here I come. You're the one we borrow from. Oh, Ronnie. Ronnie, where are you? I'm in the library, Benita. 
Peter, who was that at the back door? Mr. Benny's butler, Manchester. <laughs> Milk? No. Sugar? No. Cream? No. Mayonnaise? No. Uh, butter? Right. <laughs> Wonderful. If you ever went on a quiz program, we could spend two glorious weeks in Honolulu. Yes, Benita, I'm getting sharp. <laughs> yeah, but you know, let's not talk about Benny. It only upsets me. Borrowing, borrowing, borrowing. What a neighbor. Well, darling, sometimes he tries to be helpful. During the freezing weather the other night when you worried about our orange trees, Jack did come over and lend you a smudge pot. Yeah, some smudge pot. Three old toupees smoldering in a broken pressure cooker. <laughs> I know, darling. But then what about the snow? Tuesday morning he volunteered to shovel all the snow away from our house, and he did it too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that that was shrewd of me, telling him I dropped a dime on our front lawn. <laughs> him into doing all that work? Yes, Benita, I must confess, even though it makes me a bit of a stinker, I did. That's <laughs> little things like that that make life worth living. For once, I got even with him for his constant borrowing. Now, Ronnie, you shouldn't be too hard on Jack. After all, it isn't his fault that he's like he is. It, it, it's just fate. What do you mean? Well, you know the famous saying... There, but for the grace of God, go I. Yes, but, but what's that got to do with it? Well, people can't help being who they are. It, it's fate. You could have been born Jack Benny. And he could have been Ronald Coleman. Benita, have you been nipping the sherry again? <laughs> Now, you know, it's something to think about. Well, I'm too tired to think about it now. If we're going out to dinner tonight, I'm going to take a little nap. I'll lie down here on the... Oh! Ronnie, I should have told you he borrowed the couch, too. <laughs> couch. Well, of all the... Darling, darling, if you want to take your nap, why don't you just sit here in this easy chair? Well... You'd better hurry while it's still here. <laughs> all right. I will. I'll turn out the lights and leave you alone. Uh, thank you. Have a nice nap, dear. Uh, sometimes Benita has the weirdest ideas. <laughs> Imagine her saying it's just fate. <laughs> that I could have been born Jack Benny. Whoa, what a nauseating thought. <laughs> uh, this is a comfortable chair. It feels so good to close my eyes. Yes, Ronnie. You could have been born Jack Benny. You could have been Jack Benny. You could be Jack Benny. You could be Jack Benny. You could be Jack Benny. Oh, boss! Boss! Mr. Benny! What is it, Rochester? Today's... Today's payday. Some of your cast is waiting in the living room for their money. Hmm. <laughs> All right, I might as well go in. 
Uh, help me on with my shoes, Rochester. Why, you'll just have to take them off again when you pay them. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. You know, Rochester, I'm a pretty lucky man. My cast has been wonderful to me. They're always on time, they work hard, they try their best, and always give great performances. I wish there was something I could do to show my gratitude. Why don't you give them a raise? I will not. <laughs> I better not keep them waiting. Can it be the trees that fill the trees with rare and magic perfume? Oh, no, it isn't. Why, hello, kids. Hello, hello Jack. Jack. Well, I understand you're all here for your salaries. Here's yours, Mary. Oh, thanks, Jack. Don. Thanks, Jack. Dennis. Whoops, dropped it. <laughs> Jack, did you hear the latest news about Don? He's got another show now. Well, congratulations, Don. What program is it? Well, it's the Alan Young show, Jack. We started last week. Alan Young, eh? He's a clever comedian. How does it feel having two shows? Oh, wonderful. And the nice thing about it is that one of my bosses is young. <laughs> Don. 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 Blimp belly. <laughs> Any more cracks like that and... Ouch, Dennis, why are you biting my leg? You're standing on my salary. <laughs> well, kids, since you're all here, I want to invite you to my birthday party on February the 14th. Say, that's right, Jack. Next month is your birthday. Yep, time sure flies. One more month and I won't be 39 anymore. 39? Where were you born, on a slow boat to China? A slow boat to China, slow boat to China, slow boat to China. <laughs> Better watch it, sister, or you'll be on a fast bus to the May Company. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Jack. By the way, I meant to tell you I just got another letter from my mother. Really? And <laughs> what does the command decision of your father's life have to say? <laughs> oh, nothing much, except that the dentist held a convention in Plainfield and my sister babe was voted Miss Lower Plate Wobble of 1949. <laughs> Good old babe. I knew she could do it. <laughs> oh, uh, by the way, Jack, what are you planning to do on the program next week? Well, I want to do a Shakespearean sketch, and I'm going to try and get Ronald Coleman as a guest star. I've even offered him a hundred dollars. A hundred dollars? Why, you can't get Ronald Coleman to do Shakespeare for that? Done. He's such a big ham, he'll jump at the chance. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you finished the script for Mr. Coleman yet? Yes, Mary, I have it right here. Listen to this wonderful Shakespearean soliloquy I'm going to have Ronnie do. <clears throat> to be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to enjoy a lucky and so to feel thy level best. <laughs> to smoke, to puff, perchance to blow a smoke ring. Aye, there's the thrill. <laughs> Come, 
Let me light thee. Art thou not round and firm and fully back? <laughs> Art thou not first again with friends, Romans, countrymen? Art thou not a noble creation? Your praise is tripping lightly from the nimble tongue of speedy rigs. <laughs> I, Horatio, the tobacco's the thing that makes a lucky fitting for a king. Yes, Ronnie, you could have been Jack Benny. And Jack Benny could have been born Ronald Coleman. Jack could have been Ronald Coleman. Oh, Ronnie! Ronnie, where are you? I'm in the library, Benita. <laughs> oh. oh, yes, you always are. What are you doing, Ronnie? I'm looking at the list of nominees for the Academy Awards. My name is Nonnet. But, darling, you didn't make a picture this year. How can you expect to win anything? I thought they might give me some sort of an award for living next to Benny. <laughs> Gad, how I despise that blue-eyed baboon. <laughs> now, darling, don't pick on his appearance. Why not? After all, Benny's eyes aren't really blue. I happen to know that he dyes them. <laughs> now, forget him, dear. Remember what happens to your blood pressure when you think of Benny. I can't help thinking of that jerk. Always borrowing. Eggs, milk, cream, butter. <laughs> butter. <laughs> Doesn't he have anything of his own? What does he keep in his icebox? A film of the horn blows at midnight. <laughs> oh, yes, if I ever made a picture like that, I'd ask Clancy to lower the boom. <laughs> oh, Ronnie, forget Jack, and let's talk about something else. I haven't told you before, but I'm planning a hunting trip for us up in the High Sierras. In the High Sierras? Or are we going to hunt bear? No, we'll be wearing your long underwear. <laughs> oh, Benita, you're a jolly one. <laughs> That's not funny, Benita. Anyway, I don't want to go hunting. I'd rather go to the races at Santa Anita. Benita. Come here, darling. Oh, don't, dear. Don't. <laughs> You're tickling me. Oh, stop being so dignified. It's only us. <laughs> you know, darling, I'm a lucky man, having such a beautiful wife. Come here, Benita. Let me kiss you. <laughs> oh, Ronnie, that was wonderful. <laughs> kiss me again. Ronnie... Ronnie, Ronnie. Ronnie! Ronnie, wake up! What, what? Oh, oh, it's you, Benita. Yes, I've been calling you for five minutes. Oh, well, where did he go? Where did Benny go? Benny? Jack wasn't here. Oh, he wasn't, eh? Now, Benita, I distinctly saw you kiss him. Me kiss Jack Benny? Have you gone out of... Oh, wait a minute. You must have dreamed it. Huh? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I guess I did. Well, that settles it. We'll have to move. Move? <laughs> move why? Benita, I don't mind Benny borrowing everything I've got. 
and I don't mind Benny ruining my life. But when he starts to louse up my dreams, that's too much, my girl. Too much! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the nation's fight against infantile paralysis continues relentlessly. But your contributions must keep rolling in to continue this fight. A covered wagon has just been sent across the country with Jack Benny's vault in it to collect your dimes and dollars to aid in this worthy cause. Obviously, the wagon can only visit a limited number of cities, so please send your dimes and dollars to Jack Benny in care of your local CBS station or direct to the March of Dimes. Let's all join in the fight against polio by contributing to the March of Dimes. Thank you. Jack will be back in just a moment, but first... Smoke a lucky to feed your lab on best. Smoke a lucky to feed your lab on best. Yes, Lucky's fine tobacco picks you up when you're low, calms you down when you're tense. It's good to know that fine tobacco can do this for you. And that's why it's so important that you select and smoke the cigarette of fine tobacco Lucky Strike. For as every smoker knows... L-S-M-F-T, L-S-M-F-T... Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. No wonder more independent tobacco experts, auctioneers, buyers, and warehousemen smoke Lucky Strike regularly than the next two leading brands combined. So when you choose your cigarette, remember that Lucky's fine tobacco puts you on the right level, the lucky level, where you feel your best and do your best. Yes, when you are feeling low, feeling tense, these eight words are common sense. Smoke a lucky to feel your level best. Smoke a lucky to feel your level best. Thanks, Ronnie and Benita, and good night, everybody. Be sure to stay tuned to the Amos Mandy Show that follows immediately. And the rest of the CBS Sunday Night lineup, which includes our Miss Brooks, Sam Spade, and Lemon Abner. And don't forget, through Friday, the Lucky Strike program, Your Lucky Strike, starring Don Amici. And don't miss Dennis Day in a Day in the Life of Dennis Day. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Good health to all from Rexall. Yes, it's Sunday. Time for the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. Presented by the makers of Rexall Drug Products and your Rexall Family Druggist. Good evening. This is your Rexall family druggist taking a little time from behind the prescription counter this Sunday evening to speak for all 10,000 of us. The 10,000 independent druggists who have added the word Rexall to our own store names. You can always tell us by the orange and blue Rexall sign in our windows. The sign means that we carry the 2,000 or more drug products made by the Rexall Drug Company. They range all the way from aspirin to penicillin. And they're as fine and pure and dependable as science can make them. We independent druggists recommend them to our customers because we know you can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. Good health to all from Rexall. 
And now your Rexall family druggist brings you the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Walter Scharf and his music, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. This morning, there was a little excitement in the Harris household. Alice and Phil were in the kitchen, just finishing breakfast, when an excited William burst in on them. Uh, Alice, it's so exciting, I don't know how to tell you. I... Oh, it's got me all a flutter. Well, calm down, Willie. Take it easy. Yeah, simmer down, books. You're getting your glasses all steamed up. <laughs> now, take it easy. What's with you? I have wonderful news. Romance has come into my life. I'm going to become engaged. <laughs> oh, now, Willie, isn't it rather sudden? I never expected this. I did. I knew it was going to happen when he caught the bouquet at Betty Sharp's wedding. <laughs> well, William, I didn't even know you were going steady with a girl. Who is she? Miss O'Connor. She's my assistant in the bookkeeping department at Rexall. Uh, Philip met her. Bill, what does she look like? Like the kind of a girl who'd go out with a guy like Willie. She's a very attractive little Irish girl. Oh, Irish, is it? Faith, and what does little Colleen look like, Philip? Well, Makushla. <laughs> well, look, honey, she's kind of hard to describe. Um, uh, do you know that song, A Little Bit of Heaven Fell From Out the Sky One Day? Yes. Well, when it fell, it must have hit her right in the kisser. <laughs> William, you've only known this girl a few weeks. Surely you're not serious about being engaged. Oh, but I am. I even bought the engagement ring. Here it is. Isn't it a beautiful ring? Yeah, and look, there's a place for a stone, too. Philip <laughs> has a stone. May be small, but it's a beauty. <laughs> Alice, don't you think this is a beautiful diamond? <laughs> well, what do you think of the diamond? Well, give me a chance. I haven't found it yet. <laughs> you think it's awfully small, Willie? Well, I could have gotten a larger one, but I don't believe in a vulgar display of jewelry. Oh, in other words, you don't believe in being ostentatious. <laughs> What was that last word? Ostentaneous, capital A-U-S-T-I-N, and you take it from there. <laughs> the word is ostentatious, and I doubt if you even know what it means. Know what it means? Are you kidding, Clyde? <laughs> Ostentaneous. It's a French word, meaning why spend a lot of cabbage for a ring when you can get the same thing for a nickel out of an iron claw machine? <laughs> you know, William, I'd like to meet your girlfriend before you get engaged. Why don't you bring her over here tonight? Well, splendid, Alice. We'll, we'll announce our engagement from here. Um, by the way, do you mind if I leave the ring with you for safekeeping? I paid $42.98 for it, and I don't want to lose it. You paid all of $42.98 for a diamond ring? My, what a horrendous price. <laughs> Give it to me, Willie. I'll take care of it. Well, got it with your life, Philip. Well, I'll run along now and see you tonight. Oh, to think that at last I have found romance. I'm just a vagabond lover. And I'm a dream girl, it seems. Oh, no. 
the Rudy Valley of Encino. Oh, don't make fun of him, Phil. He's so happy about the whole thing. Gee, I hope nothing happens to break up his romance with Miss O'Connor. What if it does? Willie can get another girl. There are plenty of fish on the beach. You mean in the sea? On the beach. When he gets them, they're washed up. <laughs> Now, look, honey, I don't mind him... We just saw Uncle William, and he was singing. What's the matter with him? Yeah, what's cooking with old vagabond lover? (laughs) He looks sick. If you had a voice like his, you'd look sick, too. Now, Phil, please. Girls, your Uncle William is in love. He's going to get engaged to be married. What's engaged? It's the ether before the operation. Nice romantic explanation. Now, look, children, an engagement is when a man asks a woman to marry him. Like, well, just like when your daddy asked me to become his wife. Oh, I'll never forget his proposal. Mommy, how did daddy propose to you? Oh, well, honey, he was very romantic. He got down on his knees and said, Blondie, this is your big chance. <laughs> Put the lug on you for two bucks for a marriage license. Yeah, and your mother was smart enough to take advantage of a golden opportunity. (laughs) No, but all kidding aside, Alice, uh, how did you know that I was in love with you? That was easy, Phil. A little bird told me that you love me. That you love me. And I believe that you do that you do this little bird also told me i was falling really falling falling for no one but you none but you there's no use denying i might as well confess of all the boys i know dear i'm sure i love you best a little bird told me that you love me that you love me and i Believe that it's true A little bird Told me we'll be married And I Believe that it's true This little bird Also told me when we marry We'll have a pretty cottage Not too far All fenced in like a movie star Great Dane Pup will call him Ace Lying there by the fireplace Goldfish pond and a wishing well Everything is gonna turn out swell A little bird Told her she'd be married And we believe that it's true This little bird Also told her when she married We'll be the proudest couple In the land We go through life Hand in hand Have a rancho way out west Pick the spot that we love the best A peachy keen And all is well Everything is gonna turn out swell And this is true We know A little birdie Told us so Oh, I love that little Boyd Oh, 
Come along, girls. I want you to get ready for Sunday school. And Phil, Phil, please put Willie's ring away someplace. Okay, okay, I'll put it away. I'll put it away. <laughs> Bet this thing's going to... Put away Willie's ring someplace. Bet this thing's going to look awful silly on a girl's hand. I'm going to slip it on my finger just to see how silly it does look. Fine ring. How any guy'd have the nerve to give a ring like this to a girl. Hi, Curly. Oh, oh. Hello, Frankie. Alice told me you were in the kitchen and I would. <laughs> what you got on your finger? An engagement ring? <laughs> oh. May I throw you a linen shower? All right, Remley, cut it. I ain't no mood for comedy. Cut it out. Wish somebody give me an engagement ring. I said cut it out. <laughs> Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. <laughs> Take it easy for a minute, will you? Mm -hmm. This is Willie's engagement ring, and I'm just holding it for him. Willie's getting engaged? Yeah. To what? <laughs> To a girl. At least I think she is. She's got a girl's name. So what's he want to get engaged for? That could lead to something incurable like marriage. <laughs> and what's wrong with marriage? You don't even know what marriage is. Ah, but I do, my friend. <laughs> marriage is like a boat with red sails. Now, what does that mean? How should I know? What am I, a philosopher or something? <laughs> That's a trouble with single guys like you. You laugh at marriage, laugh. Wouldn't do you no harm to find a nice girl and settle down. Why should I? This way I can play the field and go out with a different girl every night. But, Ramley, having a wife is a guaranteed investment for the future. Why buy an oil well when there's a gas station on every corner? <laughs> can't understand you. What's the matter with you, Remley? What are you thinking about? Wouldn't you like to settle down and have a family? Well, that I might like. <laughs> I knew you were a softy. Just think, Frankie. Just think. You get married, buy a nice home in the country, and after a year or two, you hear the patter of little feet running around the house. Just feet, no babies? <laughs> I give up. Forget about it. Okay. Well, wait a minute. I better take Willie. Hey, Remley. Come on. That Willie's ring is stuck on my finger and I can't get it off. <clears throat> Won't come off. What am I going to do? Guess you'll just have to marry Willie. <laughs> I'll cut my finger off first. Hey, I know. What? I get it. I'll go over to the sink and rub a little soap on it. It'll slip right off. You want me to help you, Curly? I'll pull the ring off. Oh, no, you don't. Stop right there. Every time you help me do something, I wind up behind the eight ball. You'd probably drop it down the drain. I'll take it off myself. All right. Rub it a little. It's coming off. Mm-hmm. 
I'm getting it. Oh, no, down the drain. Oh. Took you two bounces to get it in. I could have done it in one. Frankie, will you be serious a minute? I got to get that ring out of that pipe. Willie's supposed to give it to his girl tonight. Unless that dame's a plumber, she ain't going to get engaged. <laughs> well, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, Curly. Dropping that poor girl's ring down the drain and she hasn't even seen it yet. Hey, I better call her and tell her to hurry over at the corner of 5th and Main. What for? So she can lift the manhole cover and get a glimpse of it as the ring floats by. <laughs> Romantic way to get engaged. <laughs> oh, Curly, it can't float away. It's probably stuck in the trap at the bottom of the sink. Yeah. That's right, that little thing. No curve. Sure. Job. All we got to do is take the trap off. That's it. Hey, let's go get my wrench. I don't know. I get into more trouble than Elmer. I'd ask you who Elmer is, but I know it would only lead to a song. <laughs> well, it's gonna lead to one anyway. Now Elmer Jones arose at dawn and put his hunting britches on Then looked up at the shotgun on the wall He made his mind up then and there to bag himself a hunk of bear At hunting he had plenty on the ball He milked the cow and fed the hog Then kissed his wife and called the dog Picked up his gun and started on his quest He crossed the creek and hit the trees Threw back his head and sniffed the breeze Let out a yell and pounded on his chest Here comes Elmer, Elmer's got his gun here comes Elmer, run, bear, run. He hunted all the morning through, but not a bear came into view while Elmer's thoughts were on the kitchen range. For he was sick as he could be of lamb and chicken fricassee and craved a mess of bear meat for a change. Poor Elmer's mind was in a fog. He paused and sat down on a log to get his faculties back in the groove. He heard a noise, and standing there before him was a grizzly bear and thought it time that he'd better make his move. Here comes Elmer, Elmer's got his gun Here comes Elmer, run, bear, run He grabbed his gun and turned around But Mr. Bear just stood his ground And Elmer said, it's either me or thou The gun refused to go And so he knew that somebody had to go And said, farewell, I'm leaving as of now Then Elmer's shoulders sprouted wings His feet developed inner springs To linger longer, he was disinclined he ran so fast through muck and mire, his ankles set his socks afire, and still that bear kept coming on behind. Here comes Elmer, Elmer's got his gun. Here comes Elmer, run, bear, run. A deer with antlers eight feet wide got in the way of Elmer's stride as both of them went heading for the brush. Then Elmer said, now listen, son, if that's the fastest you can run, move over, because I'm really in a rush. Bear was gaining inch by inch and finally reached out for the clinch as Elmer saw the fence around his place. He leaped the fence and landed hard, jumped 60 feet across the yard and slammed the kitchen door in Bruins. Here comes Elmer, Elmer's got his gun. Here comes Elmer, run, bear, run. The bear was trying to get inside while Elmer sought a place to hide and Mrs. Jones began to pull her hair. She said, this fuss has got to stop. Why don't you let the matter drop? And Elmer said, honey, go tell it to the bear. Then Elmer's wife said, listen, goon, how come you think you're Daniel Boone whose appetite on bear meat used to thrive? He said, honey, I'm sure that you're aware that Daniel always killed his bear, but I done brought this baby home alive. Here comes Elmer. Elmer's got his gun. Here comes Elmer. Run, bear, run. 
was a very interesting tale. <laughs> now shall we take the trap off? Okay, funny man, just give me that wrench and I'll Phil, get out. Phil, did you put... What are you doing with that wrench? Well, I, I got to take the trap off of the sink. Uh, um, uh, Willie's ring is down the drain. <laughs> oh, no. How did it get down there? Um, I couldn't say. <laughs> I could. Curly dropped it down. <laughs> Francis Waldo. <laughs> you have snitched again. <laughs> well, honey, we Phil, can... how do you do these things? Now, look, we've got to get that ring out of the drain before William comes over with his girl. I'll call a plumber. We don't need no plumber. All Frankie and me has to do is just remove that little trap. Now, now, wait a minute. Do you fellas know what you're doing? Alicia. <laughs> Please. To get the trap off, all we have to do is bend this elbow. Yes, but do you know how? <laughs> hey, hey, did you hear that, Frankie? Do we know how to bend an elbow? <laughs> Alice, you're looking at two of the most experienced elbow benders in the country. You know how? <laughs> I don't know. I'm a little worried. Something tells me I shouldn't let you do this. But we have to get that ring back. Now go ahead, but be careful and don't get any water on my kitchen floor. Don't get any water on my kitchen floor. Don't get any water on my kitchen floor. <laughs> Always so happens. Magnus, Curly. Her father's a policeman. I told you. <laughs> Don't get any water on the kitchen floor. Nag, 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 nag. nag. Sometimes I wonder why we ever married that woman. <laughs> we know what we're doing. Every minute. <laughs> now, come on, Remley. Let's get at that pipe. Right. Hmm. What's the matter? Hey, look under there. Let me see. There are four pipes under there. Four? Yeah. Which one do we take out, Remley? I don't know. Let's be on a safe side and take them all out. <laughs> Hand me the hammer. I'll loosen them up. Here. Oh, Remley, why do I always listen to you? When will I ever learn? Stop sitting there beefing. Swim over here and help me. You can help yourself. I ain't getting off of this refrigerator. Look at that water. It's up to your waist. So we got the kitchen a little damp. A little damp. <laughs> We got the ring out of the pipe, didn't we? Yeah, when the water rushed out, we heard it fall on the floor, but we haven't found it yet. Been looking for it for an hour. Be patient. Oh, patient, he said. You keep looking, you'll find it. Go ahead, dive in again. <laughs> this time, try a jackknife. You get more depth. <laughs> Look, will you cut out the clowning? I told you we gotta find the ring. I got an idea. Let's open the door to the hole and let the water run out. Then we'll be able to find the ring. Oh, no, you don't. We're not going to flood the whole house. Don't touch that door. If anybody should open that door, hey, they ain't... Hey, everybody, no... I'm from the grocery 
Hey, leave him out in the hall, Julius. Don't come in here. Don't open the door. Why not? What are you guys up to now? I'm coming What are you... Hey, Curly, look at him go down the hall. <laughs> yeah, he looks like a salmon swimming upstream. Quiet, will you? Do you want Alice to come down here? Be quiet, he says. They're trying to drown me and they want me to be quiet. <laughs> what are you, a couple of wise guys or something? Well, we warned you not to open that door. How was I to know you got a reservoir in your kitchen? <laughs> Next time I make a delivery here, I'm coming to submarine. Kid, you got some seal blood in you? That kid's right, Frankie. What do you want to do? Exfixinate him? You can't do that. If that pipe stopped up, there's only one thing to do. Here, Julius, drink this. What is it? Drano. <laughs> now hurry, go ahead. Drink it, kid. Now drink it. Bottoms up. No, bottoms. Whatever it was that stuck in my throat, I just swallowed it. Well, then, good. Now leave us alone, will you? We got to look for a ring. I've been looking, Curly. I looked all over the floor. I can't find it anywhere. Well, it must be here. We heard it drop the floor, just didn't open it up and swallow it. How could it get out of the... <laughs> Swallow? Say, um... Seal face. <laughs> that, uh, that, that thing you swallowed, Julius, uh... Uh, what did it feel like? Kind of round and hard. Oh, no! <laughs> no, he swallowed the ring. How are we going to get it, Frankie? There's only one way we can get it out. You mean? <laughs> Prepare for surgery, Dr. Howard. <laughs> hey, that sounds like fun. <laughs> Lie down, Julius. Get your mitts off of me, <laughs> Don't touch me, Julius. You'll make me unsterile. <laughs> Take it easy, kid. This ain't gonna hurt. Of course not, my lad. Just relax. <laughs> Remember, you're in the capable hands of Dr. Harris, your friendly credit stomach surgeon. 
<laughs> you don't have a thing to worry about, Julius. Shall we proceed? Would you like to make the incision, Dr. Harris? No, thank you. You may do the carving. <laughs> Very well. A little white meat, please. <laughs> Not too much cranberry sauce. The ticker was a turkey and he wanted a raffle. <laughs> now look, fellas, let's stop the comedy. A joke is a joke, but this type of humor don't appeal to me. <laughs> we ain't joking. You swallowed Willie's engagement ring and we gotta get it. Yeah, because he's supposed to give it to his girl tonight. If we don't get it out of you, it's gonna break up their romance. Now, you're not going to be an old meanie and refuse to let us operate on you, are you? Oh, perish the thought. <laughs> Never let it be said that my stomach stood in the way of true love. Good boy, Julius. Then you let us do it? You let us operate on you? Go plug up the hole in your head. <laughs> I'm getting out of here before I... Oh, Bill. Bill, what have you and Frankie done now? The hole is soaked. And Alice told me what you did with my ring. Where is it, Philip? Well, you see, Julius had the ring and... Philip, stop stalling. Miss O'Connor's promised to marry me as soon as I give her the ring. But, Willie, it's going to take a little time and I... I won't wait. I can't get married without that ring and I want to get married now. Right now? Now. (laughs) Well, in that case, Willie, there's only one thing to do. Give me your hand. Give me your hand. Philip! Why are you placing my my hand on Julius' stomach? Quiet. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here to join these two in matrimony. Philip, stop that. I now pronounce you man and abdomen. Congratulations. Now look, Phil, you're acting like a madman. What's going on here? Oh, honey, Julius swallowed the ring. He swallowed my ring? Julius, you come with me. We're going to see a doctor. Okay, goodbye, everybody. So long, kid. Hey, kid, you make a nice-looking couple. Yeah. Just think, part of me is now Mrs. William Emerson Faye. <laughs> Ooh, what a nauseating thought. <laughs> and now here's your Rexall family druggist. Every once in a while, we Rexall family druggists are asked this important question. Why is a Rexall druggist different from any other? Well, ma'am, the main difference is we were selected to carry the 2,000 or more drug products made by the Rexall Drug Company, and we take pride in recommending them to our customers. They must be pretty fine products if druggists recommend them. You've hit the nail exactly on the head, ma'am. Let me give you an example of why we recommend them. Did you know, for instance, that drug products in tablet form should contain little or no moisture? No, I didn't know that. Well, it's true. And that's why in Rexall's laboratories, there's a special apparatus that can detect as little as one one-thousandth of one percent of moisture. Before certain drug tablets are considered good enough to wear the Rexall label, they must meet their maximum moisture allowance as determined by this exacting machine. Well, I'd say that's being pretty careful. And I agree with you, ma'am. And we Rexall druggists know that all Rexall drug products get the same kind of painstaking scientific testing and get it over and over again. That's why in every drugstore with the orange and blue Rexall sign in the window, there's an independent druggist who will tell you you can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. Good health to all from Rexall. Horace, you did a wonderful job, and don't forget, everybody, to stay tuned to this station for Fred Allen. Good night, everybody. Thank you. This is Bill Foreman wishing good health to all from Rexall. Rexall. 
This is M. His name is Titus Moody, Bob. I just want to say that there's a fellow coming on the air who is comical as all get out. Yes, sir, this man has real snappy stuff, wholesale and retail. His name is Fred Allen. So just sit there and listen to NBC, the whole darn national broadcasting company. Hello again. This is Buck Benny talking. Welcome to our continuing coverage of the Jack Benny Lunch Week. <laughs> On Sunday, last Sunday, he got to have lunch with at the Brown Derby with uh, Jimmy Stewart. And I, I said, uh, if you listen to that episode, I said it was one of my all-time favorites in my top five, anyway. Well, today's another lunch episode. <laughs> Happens to be that exactly ten years ago, well, exactly ten years before uh, Sunday's episode... So, uh, in 1939, exactly 70 years ago today, um, Jack Benny was having lunch with his, with the gang, and um, it, it was one of the best episodes ever, again in my top five. I guess I just like having lunch with Jack, but uh, anyway, uh, one of his writers, Ed Boulogne, has a fantastic part in this as the, the main lunch counter person. Um, the other person that he talks to is uh, none other than Frank Nelson, who does a fantastic job, of course, in all roles and, and even in this one. Uh, I just love, in this episode, the way all the characters work together brilliantly. Um, there's a, a lot of, uh, I don't want to say new people because they don't continue on, a lot of guest appearances from... Uh, folks, and uh, the folks that guest appear do a fantastic job, keep the show rolling along. A guest can either take away from a show or add to it. These guys all add to it. Um, just a funny, funny episode all the way through. Enjoy it. J-E-L-L-O! The Jell-O program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Kenny Baker, and yours truly, Don Wilson. The orchestra opens the program with Go South, Young Man. There's a popular song out now called April in My Heart, and that gives me an idea. April, with its fresh springtime colors, is a long way off. But you can get a touch of spring into your menu tomorrow. Just serve Jell-O for dessert. For Jell-O's six glowing colors are so bright and cheerful, so fresh and gay they perk up any meal. And those six delicious flavors bring you extra rich fruit goodness. Strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. Everyone is crammed with extra fruit richness. A depth of flavor that rivals the fresh ripe fruits themselves. No matter how you serve it, dressed up or perfectly plain, Jell-O is a grand dessert. Tempting and good with extra rich flavor, bright and gay with springtime color. So ask your grocer tomorrow for America's favorite gelatin dessert, Jell-O.
That was Go South, Young Man, played by the orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we turn back the clock and take you to the drugstore across the street from the NBC building here in Hollywood. The time is exactly 15 minutes before this broadcast. Take it away, drugstore. You'll have to hurry, Mary. We haven't got much time. Well, I'm hungry. Look, if you'll wait till after the broadcast, I'll take you out and buy you a full-course dinner. I'm no gambler. I'll take a sandwich now. All right, it's up to you. Say, uh, here's a couple of seats here. <laughs> Whoops! Madam, would you mind taking your peak and knees off this seat? These stools are for customers. Well, Cuddles is having a hot fudge sundae. Oh, he is. That's all his face needs, some hot fudge on it. <laughs> Stop arguing, Jack. Here's a couple of seats over here. Okay. Hmm, cuddled yet. <laughs> oh, hello there. Hello, Mary. What'll it be today? Oh, just a sandwich. I'll have a peanut butter, jelly, olive, nut, bacon, cheese, roast beef, and turkey on whole wheat. Wow. <laughs> oh, Gilroy. Yes, Radcliffe. Hit the jackpot on whole wheat. <laughs> You want something else, Mary? No, that'll be all. Okay. What do your father have? I'll have... I'm not her father. <laughs> I'm Jack Benny. Now, let's see. I think I'll take the businessman's lunch. Are you a businessman? No. Then you can't have it. <laughs> now, wait a minute, young man. I ordered the businessman's lunch, and I'm going to get it... Ouch! Did you bite that man's ankle? Ankle nothing and take him off that stool. <laughs> fine, fine Pekingese. Well, I bought him at a sale. A sale? Yes, he was marked down from a great dame. <laughs> well, that's very interesting. All right, mister, what do you have? Oh, I'm not in the mood to eat now. Uh, just bring me a cup of coffee. Oh, here's something good, Jack. A Dunker Special. A Dunker Special? What's that? Uh, coffee, donuts, and rubber gloves. Fifteen cents. <laughs> well, that's very sanitary, but not for me. Oh, I know what. Uh, I'll have a chocolate malted milk. A chocolate malted milk? Yes, and uh, put an egg in it. Fried or scrambled? <laughs> Look, I want a malted milk with just a plain raw egg in it. A raw egg. Okay. Oh, Gilroy. Yes, Radcliffe. One malted milk for a barbarian. <laughs> what a smart alley. Uh, pardon me. I'd like two aspirin tablets and a glass of water. Yes, sir. Here you are. Hmm. His face is familiar. Here's your sandwich, Mary. A five-decker. Oh, boy. Isn't that something? Yeah. It looks like Grauman's Chinese with potato chips. <laughs> That's right. It's even got footprints in the mayonnaise. <laughs> oh, you're just making that up. Here's your malted milk, Groucho. Hey, wait a minute, you. I ordered a malted milk, and this is an ice cream soda. That's not ice cream, that's an egg. Well, the least you could do is take it out of the shell. <laughs> you clumsy dope, can't you break an egg? If I could break an egg, I'd punch you right in the nose. <laughs> oh, you would? Say, Radcliffe, is that man annoying you? No, Gilroy, put down that cupcake. <laughs> That's a fine way to treat customers, I must say. Oh, fine. Jack, look. Cuddles, I'll give you just ten. Cuddles, I'll give you just ten to let go of my garden. One, two, three. Ooh, my leg. 
Darn it, he ruined a perfectly good pair of garters. Go on, you've had new elastic put in him 12 times. <laughs> well, the metal isn't the least bit rusty. <laughs> Gee, I don't want this malted milk now. Well, why don't you order something else, Jack? Yeah, say, buddy, what's that lady having over there with the ice cream, pineapple, whipped cream, and marshmallow and the cherry on top? Where? Right over there. That's her husband. <laughs> Odd-looking, isn't he? I'll tell you what, uh, just bring me a cup of coffee. Coffee? Yes. Sanka-panka or schmanka? <laughs> Look, just bring me a cup of coffee with no ad lid. Uh, pardon me, I'd like two more aspirin tablets and a glass of water. Yes, sir. Here you are. You know, Mary, I've seen that guy someplace. Oh, hello, Kenny. Hiya, Jack. I gotta grab something to eat quick. My girl's waiting outside. Your girl's waiting outside? Why don't you bring her in? She's watching my bicycle. Oh, <laughs> Gee whiz, can't you put a lock on the bicycle? No, I trust her. Well, that's mighty sweet of you. Hiya, Kenny. What'll it be? Oh, let's see. Uh, give me a tuna fish sandwich on rye bread. Okay. No butter, no lettuce, no mayonnaise. Oh, Gilroy. Yes, Radcliffe. One tuna on rye. No brush, no lather, no rub in. <laughs> now, now that's just showing off. Oh, say, Radcliffe, I want a side order of coleslaw with that. Just a minute. Hey, Gil. Yes, Brad. Have we got any coleslaw? Oh, just scads of it. <laughs> well, that's entrancing. Oh, Jack, there's a scale over there. I think I'll go over and weigh myself. Okay. Oh, wait a minute, Mary. I'll go with you. Don't eat my sandwich, Jack. I won't. Say, I wonder what time it is, anyway. <laughs> oh, go away, you little runt. Scat. Come here, Cuddles. He's just jealous because you've got hair. <laughs> Listen, lady, if you think that I... Oh, hello, Don. Why, Jack, I didn't see you. Have I got time to eat? Yeah, but hurry up, Don. We go on the air in a few minutes, you know. Well, let's see, Mr. Wilson. Well, I'd like a glass of milk and a large dish of jello. What flavor? Strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, or lime? Mix them up with sliced bananas. Don, get two spoons with that. I'll race you to the middle. <laughs> Last one there has to pay for it. Uh, pardon me. I'd like two more aspirin tablets and a glass of water. Yes, sir. <laughs> hmm. That's six aspirin tablets. Say, mister, have you got a headache? No, but don't tell the clerk. He'll think I'm nuts. Toodle-o. <laughs> oh, now I know who he is. That guy's crazier than my Aunt Minnie's quilt. <laughs> Say, Jack, if we don't want to be late, we better be getting over to the studio. Yeah, we're out in a few minutes. Sir. Oh, Jack, I just got on the scales, and how much do you think I weigh? How much? A hundred and three pounds. Boy, have I been put on weight. You've been what? <laughs> I've been putting on weight. Boy, have I been put on in weight. A hundred. Listen. A hundred and three pounds and you put on weight. Yeah, I only weighed seven when I was born. Well, you better watch yourself. And you know what else, Jack? Uh, Kenny got one of those little cards with a fortune on it. Oh, he did? What does it say? Uh, here it is. It says that you are shrewd, clever, and intelligent until you open your mouth. That's me. You said it. Say, Don. Hey, Don, what's your weight anyway? Oh, I really don't know, Jack. Well, come on. Here's a good chance to find out. Oh, no. Nothing to it. Oh, come on, Don. Here. Come here. I've got a penny. You better put in a nickel. Here we are. Now, get on the scales. Oh, this silly. Silly nothing. Now, stand still. All right. Here, Kenny, hold my hat. A lot of difference that'll make. 
Now hold still, Don. Wow, look at that. 100, 150. 
I noticed you were limping when you came into the studio just now. <laughs> Did you have an accident of some kind? <laughs> well, uh, uh... Come on, Don, tell us. Well, let me see. Oh, yes, I was out riding this morning and my horse threw me. Oh, threw you? Don, there's a possibility that you could have fallen off a horse. But the horse that can throw you doesn't live. <laughs> Tell me, Fibber McWilson, uh, how, did this, how did this unfortunate accident happen? Well, Jack, it was like this. I was cantering through the park Oh, sure, morning. sure. Just stop, Don. Folks, I got to tell you what really happened to Wilson. We were in a drugstore just before our... Now, program. Jack! Anyway, Don stepped out of the weighing machine, and right now it's getting pennies in heaven. <laughs> Boy, what a wreck. Jack, I wish you hadn't said that. Now people will get the idea that I'm really fat. Fat? Don, when you step into your shoes... Your rubber heels spread out like pancake batter. <laughs> I can't understand how a guy can gain so much weight on the salaries I pay. You're not kidding. <laughs> you know, Don, every time I look at you... Hmm. That woman would have to bring cuddles to the broadcast. Oh, hello, Phil. Hiya, Jackson. How's the boy? Jackson? Phil, every time I meet you lately, you call me Jackson. What's the big idea? Well, that's as close as I can get to jackass and still be polite. Ha <laughs> 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 ha, that's very funny. You know, Phil, you're clever enough to have your own program, which you better start looking for. Ah, oh, no, Jack, I couldn't let you down. You need a guy like me around here. Oh, I do? Sure, after all, I'm the only sex appeal on the show. Is that so, Phil? Did you by any chance hear me on the Screen Actors Guild program last week in that romantic bit with Joan Crawford? Oh, was that you? I thought it was Guy Kibbe. <laughs> you knew darn well it was me. I got that smart wire you sent me. I didn't send you any wire. Not much. Who else would send me a ten-word telegram with seven lousies in it? <laughs> and another thing, Phil, the next time you send a wire from Pomona, don't sign it George Bernard Shaw. He moved from there. <laughs> you know, Harris, you remind me of a guy... Of a guy... Madam, madam, must your, must your dog bark when I'm talking? You don't expect him to laugh, do you? <laughs> no, but he could wipe that sneer off his face. Now, keep him quiet, please. Let's see, what was I talking about? I don't know. I just came in. Oh, hello, Mary. Hello. Say, Mary, Jack was just telling us about the program he did with Joan Crawford last week. Were you there? I'll say I was. And boy, was Jack nervous. I wasn't nervous at all. Naturally, I was a little keyed up working with Miss Crawford, but I was not nervous. You weren't? No. You always sit down on chairs when they're not there? <laughs> oh, I just did that for a laugh, that's all. Everything went along fine. <laughs> Did you tell the boys what happened at rehearsal, Jack? What was it, Mary? Oh. <laughs> well, they were just about to finish their big scene, and Jack was supposed to kiss Miss Crawford. Yes? Well, Jack grabbed Joan in his arms and bent her over backwards. Yes? <laughs> then he bent her over a little further. Uh-huh. Now, Mary. <laughs> then a little more. <laughs> and what happened? Jack's toupee fell right in her face, and she fainted. <laughs> Now, Mary, that wasn't my toupee at all. That was my beanie. Well, well, it had a part in it. Mary, that only happened at rehearsal, but the routine sounded all right over the air, believe me. Not according to Fred Allen Wednesday night. Say, what is Allen, anyway? A barometer or something? 
If he doesn't learn to keep his mouth shut, I'm going to do something about it. I wouldn't get tough with him, Jack. You know, Alan's a pretty athletic guy. Athletic? Sure, I saw a picture of him in a fan magazine the other day, and he was posing in tights and boxing gloves. Yeah, but the hair on his chest said, welcome on it. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of that picture, fellas, did you notice his legs? They look like two sleepy people. (laughs) Imagine Alan posing as a fighter. One of these days, I'm going to have my picture taken being shot out of a cannon. (laughs) And in a leopard skin. I'll show him. All right, champ, relax. Take it easy. Lead me to him. (laughs) I'll I'll get in the ring with Alan any day. (laughs) What are you laughing at? You wouldn't get in the ring with Ferdinand the Bull. It was very cute, Mary. When Phil has his own program, you're going to be a big help to him. We've got... (laughs) We've got the first show all written. Oh, I see. And what are you going to call your little comedy act? Mary and Phil. Corn as you like it. You certainly got the right title. Say, where's Kenny? It's time for him to do a song. Here I am, Jack. Oh, where were you, Kenny? I was over in the corner counting my toes. (laughs) Counting your toes? Yeah, I count and I count and I still get 22. Kenny, either your arithmetic is bad or Ripley is waiting for you. (laughs) And next time, don't come in here with such a silly routine at all. Well, I was just trying it out for Phil's new show. Listen, Kenny, I just said that a while ago when I was mad. Phil isn't going to have his own show. He is, too. He offered me $8,000 in car fare. Oh, he's very generous, isn't he? $8,000 a week, huh? Not only that, I get extra money for writing the program. Oh, you're going to write the show, too. Well, that ought to be worth listening to you. Yeah, not only that... Oh, quiet! (laughs) Now, go ahead with your song. Wait a minute. Say, Phil, is it all right if I sing on this program? Sure, kid, but hold back a little. Now, cut out this foolish! (laughs) Now, you get up that microphone, young man, and sing. All right. (laughs) Oh, shut up! (laughs) Sing, Cuddles. I mean, Kenny. Refrain. 
You're so appealing that I'm soon revealing my love for you all again. My cigarette burns me. I wake with a start. My hand isn't hurt, but there's pain in my heart. Awake or sleep, every memory I feel deep in a dream of you. Deep in a Dream, sung by Kenny Baker. And, Kenny, that's one of the best songs you've sung this year. I know you put so much feeling into it. Really, it was thrilling. Oh, you're just trying to flatter me, so I'll stay with your program. Flatter you? I can see through that, brother. (laughs) Kenny, for three years now, I've been raving about your voice, and all of a sudden, it's flattery. You ungrateful little brat. Now, wait a minute, you. Don't aggravate my tanner. Phil, I refuse to continue this discussion about your imaginary program. However, if you happen, do happen to get one, I'd only be too glad to let you have Kenny and Mary. Be sure to take those broken-down troubadours with you. (laughs) Ah, no, I'm sending them to Paul Whiteman. Well, don't send them COD or they'll return with the swallows. (laughs) Anyway, Phil, as far as I'm concerned, you and Kenny and Mary can all go. Just leave me good old Don Wilson and I'm satisfied. Well, you should be. You're still getting more than half. Well, let me ask you something, Mary. Suppose you did go with Phil. Who's going to give you those good, snappy jokes? You mean like that last one? <laughs> yeah, don't be cute. Who's going to write your material? Oh, we've got two swell writers. Oh, yeah? Who are they? Noel Coward and Maxie Rosenblum. It's a fine combination. Of course, I don't know what I'm getting myself all worked up for. It's all so silly. Well, don't worry, Jack. No matter what happens, I won't leave you. I'll stick with you and Jello from strawberry to lime. a boy, Don. And I regret that I have but one life to give to my sponsor. Thanks, Don. You're a real pill. Pal. <laughs> Maybe that'll teach these traitors here something about loyalty. Well, gee whiz, Jack, we're not the only ones. I heard you on a program with Joan Crawford last week. Well, that was a special broadcast, Kenny, for one appearance only. Say, how'd you like it? Oh, it was swell. Say, Jack, I was wondering, is Joan Crawford as beautiful as she looks? (laughs) Well, of course she's beautiful, and she's marvelous to work with. Gee, I got so excited listening to the broadcast. Did you really kiss her? Why, Why, certainly I did. Who held her? (laughs) Phil, don't be so flippant. Miss Crawford enjoyed working with me very much. She told me so. And as a little memento of the broadcast, I sent her a lovely bottle of perfume. Well. In fact, I sent Rochester over to her house with it this morning. You were on the air with her a week ago. Why did you wait till today to send her perfume? Rochester was making it. Did nothing of the kind. I sent Joan some real imported stuff. It's called uh, La Lune Bleue de Boeuf de l'Amour. What does that mean? Love at Twilight also removes stains. <laughs> How do you know, Mary? Do you speak French? Woo-woo, monsieur. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're all wrong. 
It's exquisite perfume, and I'm sure Miss Crawford will like it. And now, ladies and gentlemen, if I may interrupt my cast, I would like to announce our play for next week. As a special treat, we are going to offer our version of the Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> now, I will play the part... Uh, pardon me, folks. Hello? Hello again, this is Rochester talking. I know who it is. What do you want? Say, boss, I don't think I'm going to be able to pick you up after the broadcast. Your car's on the bum. What's wrong with it? Well, for one thing, the back tires are flatter than Mr. Wilson's rubber heels. Well, for heaven's sakes, get busy. Can't you blow up the tires? The pump ain't no good since you made those cream puffs with it. Oh, that's right. Well, gee whiz, how am I going to get home? Why don't you take a taxi? I'll split it with you. <laughs> Well, that's very kind of you, but I'll manage somehow. See you later. So long, boy. So long. Oh, Rochester, uh, did you take that perfume over to Miss Crawford? Yes, sir, in person. That's good. Did she open it? No, she just took a slow look at the price tag and then a quick one. <laughs> Why, darn you, Rochester, I told you to take the price tag off the bottle. Well, don't worry, boss, I raised it. <laughs> raised it? I put a one in front. It's twelve fifty now. <laughs> Well, I gotta hand it to you, Rochester. That was quick thinking. Yeah, but maybe I shouldn't have done it in front of her. <laughs> maybe you shouldn't. I don't know why I ever trust you to do anything. You show absolutely no judgment or foresight. I'm a butler, not a swami. <laughs> All right, forget it. Next time I'll know better. So long, boss. So long. By the way, Rochester, just a minute. I just thought of something. If the car is out of commission and you can't pick me up tonight... How did you get over to Miss Crawford's house with that perfume? I'll think of something before you get home. Goodbye. <laughs> hmm, he better think of something. What's the matter, Jack? Listen, Phil, you'll not only have your own program, but you might also have a very good end man. Play, boy. You know, the highest compliment your guests can pay you is to ask for a second helping. Well, here's the dish that's guaranteed to bring them back for more. It's the new Jell-O Butterscotch Pudding, and let me tell you right now, it's one of the grandest desserts you ever dipped a spoon in. It's mellow and creamy smooth. It has a grand tempting color, like rich golden taffy, and what a flavor. That good old-fashioned butterscotch flavor that you used to love when you were a youngster. And here it is, in the new Jell-O Butterscotch Pudding. So grand, you just have to taste it to appreciate it. Then try Jell-O Chocolate Pudding, rich and smooth and real chocolatey. And a Jell-O vanilla pudding with a delicate creamy flavor that's delicious. All three Jell-O puddings are quick and easy to prepare with only a few moments cooking. You'll find the simple directions on every package, and the best way is to buy three packages at a time. So ask your grocer tomorrow for Jell-O butterscotch, chocolate, and vanilla pudding. The real homemade kind. We're a little late, so good night, folks. This is the National Broadcasting Company. So dynamic, so magnetic, so effervescent, 
so full of energy and vitality. Is it Herman? No. Is it Sherman? No. Is it Eddie? Is it Freddie? Oh, no, no, no. Is it Hart? Is it Schaffner? Is it Marks, perhaps? Oh, you'll never, never guess it. Don't snap your cap. Here's just Miss Judy Garland. Here's the little gal who's earned a number one priority in your pinup department, both in your barracks wall and in your heart, Judy Garland. Clang, clang, clang went the trolley. Ding, ding, ding went the bell. Zing, zing, zing went my heart strings from the moment I saw him, I fell. Hey everyone, this is Mindy. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Old Time Radio. Next in our Judy Garland series is her appearance on Screen Guild Theater, or sometimes known as Golf Screen Guild Show, broadcast on January 8th, 1939. This is the premiere episode of what would become a long-running anthology series from 1939 to 1952. 14 seasons, 527 episodes, so that ain't bad. And the very first uh, musical performance you hear from a singer is Judy. Near the end of this episode, you're going to hear a great skit between Jack Benny and Joan Crawford. And I thought this was a lot of fun. I, I loved their kind of easy rapport. It, it To me, it was really funny. And the show starts off with a song by Judy called Sing of Swing. Big energy. Uh, really great up-tempo song and then she hits this note at the end that keeps going and going and going and it doesn't falter and that's just the way she is apparently <laughs> she can just do that not everyone can it was a great start to the show and then she also sings an operatic style version of thanks for the memories and this one was crazy like i am still surprised after all the shows i've listened to after being a fan for so many years she's still surprises me with the abilities that she has to sing different styles and to reinvent songs and do it all at an age where a lot of singers still don't have their their own sound or their their own style and she just had them all so she used what she needed when she wanted it's just another great great performance from her and I thought it was interesting she was introduced as being 15 years old. In my notes, she's 16, and she's actually going to turn 17 in 1939. And so I suspect that, that was MGM's doing because they did push for her to stay as young looking and sounding and acting as possible. It very well could have been a mistake. I just don't think it was because the way she even speaks is it sounds a little bit artificial, artificially young because we've heard her in other programs that predate this by a year, even where she sounds more mature than what she's sounding here. You know, musically, it's never really that much of an issue. It's always in the speaking voice that that it becomes an interesting side note. I think she was probably instructed to act a little childlike and impatient and a little bit too young for her age and her maturity level at that point. That's always up for debate, I'm sure. Behind the scenes, they are kind of in the full swing of The Wizard of Oz in the filming. About a week prior, they had started the Haunted Forest sequence and they've got some flying monkeys going on already and the opening of Munchkin Land is actually shot and finished the way that we see it in the film so they're they're well underway and then you know as always the Wizard of Oz is always surrounded by these myths crazy crazy stuff that you know a majority of people that were there said actually didn't happen but then there were the totally legitimate things that happened that were still kind of weird Most of us know that Margaret Hamilton, the Wicked Witch, was burned after the first take of her melting. Uh, The first take was the one they had to use. So this has already happened. So 
Margaret Hamilton's already off recovering and she'll be off for another month. Something I didn't know was her stand-in, a woman named Betty Donko or Danko. She was injured while filming one of the flying broom stunts. A flying monkey during a flying sequence was completely dropped and injured. Not seriously, but it was a flying monkey that needed some time off. Even Toto, which I had no idea about this either. Toto was stepped on at one point, so... Toto had to leave for a couple of days. <laughs> like even the dog had to take some sick leave. It was it was a, a bang up of a, a movie shoot. And, you know, the Technicolor technology was very new and there was just a long delay in getting each scene set up and getting the lighting correct and do they had to do a lot of testing to make sure that things were appearing that the, the way that they needed them to and so that it really made for a very interesting, long, complicated movie production. A lot of her co-stars, the main characters in the movie, they were, a, there was a bit of hostility behind the scenes because they were all established actors. Judy was very much a star, but still young and relatively new in Hollywood. And they tried to upstage her. The, this was more about them. And I think it was Margaret Hamilton even was one of the people who said it's a testament to Judy's talent that she was able to get it left, right, and sideways and still stand in enough command of the screen that the movie remained about Dorothy, that you were centered on her character and her journey and her scenes. She was the star. I think I can agree with that because all of the colorful side characters and scenery and all of that stuff that makes The Wizard of Oz great is only great because you have this fantastic role of Dorothy, this girl that is completely normal, experiencing all of these wonderful things right along with you. It's just interesting to to see what a masterpiece came out of a lot of drama and a lot of ego clashing and a lot of mishap. It's just amazing that this movie came out the way it did. So anyway, enjoy this piece of radio history. It's, It's a fast 30 minutes that you're about to listen to. So have fun. Welcome, everybody. Tonight, your neighborhood good golf dealer joins the golf companies in presenting a new program. So welcome to all of you from the good golf dealers of America. Welcome to the Motion Picture Star's own radio program... The Gulf Screen Guild Show. With Jack Benny, Joan Crawford, Reginald Gardner, Judy Garland, Oscar Bradley, and Hollywood's favorite master of ceremonies, George Murphy. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Screen Guild Show. Maybe you're wondering why we call this the Motion Picture Star's own program. Well, you see, it's this way. This show is written, directed, and acted by the greatest names in the motion picture industry. With every type of entertainment that represents Hollywood. Reviews, musical comedies, dramatic shows, different writers, directors, and stars each week. But most important, the money that the Gulf Oil Companies pay the stars for appearing on this program will be turned over to the Motion Picture Relief Fund. So you see, it is really our own program, and we hope that you have as much fun listening to it as we have bringing it to you. So let's swing right into the show with a star who still manages to keep her youthful appearance in spite of her 15 years, Judy Garland. Thanks, Mr. Murphy. 
Murphy? Isn't it swell? Isn't it great? Oh, you said it, Judy. And you're the first star to appear on the Screen Guild show. Gee, Mr. Murphy, aren't you excited? How many people do you think are listening to us? Well, Judy, you I should... Can they hear us all over the country? Well, I you suppose... You think you're listening and enjoying Wait a minute. Wait, if you'll stand still for just a minute, I'll tell you. You must have been vaccinated with a pogo stick. <laughs> Mr. Murphy, where's the master ceremonies? Well, Judy, I'm the master ceremonies. Oh, I thought the master ceremonies were supposed to be funny. <laughs> well, it so happens that I'm the master of ceremonies, and I can be just as funny as the next one. Oh, gee, have they already decided on the next one? <laughs> Judy, darling, how about your song? Well, shall I sing sweet or swing? Which do you like to sing? Well, you see, it's this way. Shall I sing a melody of birds on the wing? Shall I sing of love and spring? Or shall I sing of swing? Oh, swing, yes, swing. Shall I dance a polka or a stately court box? Should I do a Susie Q and make it good and hard? I do what mother tells me to and be a slightly dull but model little daughter or should I merge with this terrific urge to get right up and do my stuff not to escape a gay enough Of love and spring, but I will not sing of love and spring. For when I sing, I'm going to sing. I want to sing. I'm going to sing of spring. I want to hear a whole tune against the beat. I want to feel the money water from the feet. I want to kill myself and dance down the street. I want to stand beside. Judy Garland, thank you. That was grand. That was swing and certainly sweet. Thanks. And don't forget, I want to meet all the stars on the show tonight. All right. You stick around and I'll introduce you to Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford? Gee, I've always wanted to meet her. Really, will you introduce me to her? I certainly will. Oh, gosh. Joan Crawford. And you know what? I'll introduce you to Jack Benny, too. Oh, gee. Joan Crawford. (laughs) (laughs) Judy, it looks as though you're really serious about this. Hey, somebody just came in. That might be Joan now. Uh, pardon me. Am I interrupting anything? No, no, not at all. Then I must be in the wrong studio. Goodbye. (laughs) Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's Reggie Gardner, folks. Well, well, Reggie, it's really a pleasure to see you here, and it's awfully nice of you to be on this first program, in spite of your broken arm. Oh, my arm's much better, thanks. In fact, it's practically healed. Then why don't you take off the sling? I would, but it's holding up my pants. <laughs> you see, I, I can't afford a butler. Frightful, isn't it? Hey, Mr. Murphy, when are you going to introduce me to Joan Crawford? <laughs> Judy, look, I'll introduce you to Joan Crawford just as soon as she gets here. 
Hasn't Joan been on yet? No, and we're waiting for back Jack Benny, too. He just finished his own program, and he's... <laughs> He'll like that. <laughs> you see, Jack, Jack just finished his own program, and right now he's in a police car. Well, really, I heard his show, but I didn't think it was that bad. <laughs> you know, I heard a lot of radio programs while lying in the hospital with my broken arm. In fact, that's all I did. I didn't get any sleep at all. You see, being in one room so long brought back my old phobia of believing that the furniture and everything in the room was alive. With the exception of my night nurse, of course, who definitely wasn't. <laughs> I, um, I actually believe that all inanimate objects are alive, and along this line, the most alive thing I've ever seen is a railway engine. Not only is it alive, but it's livid, furious, it loathes humanity. The only human who isn't afraid of it, I can't think why, is the engineer who leans out of his cab and waits for the signal to go... And when he gets the signal, he turns around and catches hold of a handle, pulls it down, and this livid beast is unleashed. Like this. (laughs) And so forth on its journey. Well, uh, now that we've unleashed this livid thing, we find it still equally furious, and it has a colossal argument for the rails it's running on. Like this. That goes on the entire journey. And not only does it have a colossal argument for the rails it's running on, but also all the other rails when they dare to cross its own. Like this. And so on. Um, A few years ago, I went to France, and uh, when I arrived at Calais, I got my first glimpse of a French engine. I was very much impressed. It seemed to me to be four times as big and eight times as livid as any engine I'd ever seen before. To begin with, it had 27 of everything. Cow catchers, bells, tea cozies, knives and forks. In fact, everything but Daryl Zanuck hanging all over it. And when I was crossing the rails to get to the platform on the other side where I was to catch my train, I had to walk in front of this frightful monster, so I cowered away from it, and suddenly, to my amazement, it let out an extraordinarily effeminate voice. It seemed to me to be so enormously masculine, and yet as it started on its journey for Paris, all it managed to summon up was... Of course, I may be wrong about that, but it really does seem to me to be a little peculiar. Now, before I end this bit of nonsense, I would like to tell you the one thing that an engine really loathes more than anything else, and that is another engine coming in the opposite direction. That it cannot bear. And by this time, you're well on your trip and you've settled down quite calmly to diddle-a-dom, and all the other maddening noises. When suddenly, to your horror, this new thing bursts upon you and nearly knocks you on the carriage floor. It's the most frightening thing in the world, and it goes like this. It's very silly. Don't bother. It's just my own personal Well, grand and splendid.
You know Oscar Bradley, our musical director, because he has conducted the golf programs for the past four years. But we've known him since the days he conducted such great New York successes as Showboat, Rio Rita, The Desert Song, and many others. Tonight, he goes a little jitterbug with Jeepers Creepers and Say It With a Kiss from the Warner Brothers picture, Going Places. Okay, Oscar, go places. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, tonight Ralph Morgan is playing a dual role. He is here not only as president of the Screen Actors Guild, but also to represent Gene Herschel, president of the Motion Picture Relief Fund, who is in New York. Ladies and gentlemen, our president, Ralph Morgan. Thank you, George. God bless you, Gene Herschel. I know you're listening in. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a real pleasure that I present Colonel Drake president of the Gulf Oil Corporation and the Gulf Refining Company. Colonel Drake has been a vital factor in offering this new series of programs to you for your entertainment. Here he is, Colonel J. Frank Drake, speaking... (laughs) Speaking in behalf of the Gulf Companies and of your independent good Gulf dealers. Thank you, Mr. Morgan. Ladies and gentlemen, during the past seven years... Gulf has pioneered in bringing you many unusual phases of radio entertainment for the first time. Your good Gulf dealers and the Gulf companies have had the privilege of sponsoring a long series of famous stars, including the best loved of all, a man I am proud to have known as a friend, America's own Will Rogers. This year, we have searched for a new frontier in the radio field. We feel that we have found it in the Screen Guild show which brings you practically all the leading stars, the featured players, and the directors and writers in Hollywood. We hope that in this way we shall open new frontiers of enjoyment to you and to millions of other Americans. It has been possible for Gulf to sponsor a program of such a wide scope only because of the cooperation of the Motion Picture Relief Fund, the Screen Actors, Writers, and Directors Guilds, and the Motion Picture Producers. We think it worthy of your attention that the amount paid by the sponsor for talent on this program will be placed in a special fund 
to build a home for the care of aged and indigent people from all branches of the film industry. We feel that this is a humane and very worthwhile project, and we are proud to be associated with it. We hope also that this is the kind of entertainment that all of you will enjoy, and that you will find the Screen Guild show worthy of your continued support. Judy, no, I told you no. Why not? Now, look, Judy, Colonel Drake is the president of the Gulf Oil Company. He's been very nice to us, and he's a very busy man. And you cannot ask him to change the oil in your car. <laughs> Besides, he's not dressed for it. Incidentally, young lady, there's something I want to ask you. There's a very disturbing rumor going around that you're a jitterbug. Why, I am not. I like opera just as well. Well, all I know is what Mickey Rooney and some of those old-timers are saying around. <laughs> well, I'm operatic, and I can prove it. That is, if Oscar Bradley will help me. Oscar, the lady waits. Rodolfo. Ah, what was that? Methinks it was the voice of my nurse. Must not find you here, or else she'll kill you. So go, my beloved. Go, my beloved. Rainy afternoons, swingy Harlem tunes, and motor trips, and burning lips, and burning toast, and prunes. How lovely it was. Man's the time that we feasted. Well, it was swell while it lasted. 
Thank you, Judy. Thank you. That was Grant. I never realized that you were such a serious threat to the Mets. Yeah, kind of was a surprise to me, too. Well, Mr. Murphy, um, don't forget that, uh... You're going to meet Joan Crawford just as soon as she gets here and not before, and don't ask... Come on in, George. You can relax. Why, it's Jack Finney. Hello, Jack. Well, George, I bet you were kind of worried that I wouldn't get here on time, weren't you? Weren't you worried? No, we weren't worried, Jack. Not at all. Well, weren't you worried even a little bit? (laughs) No, not even a little bit. Darn it, I was hiding for nothing. You know, George, I, I had an awful time getting here. It's the last time I'll go any place with a police escort, believe me. Why, Jack, I should think you'd feel flattered. It's quite an honor to have them send a police car for you. Police car, nothing. They sent two cops on motorcycles, and I had to run between them. <laughs> I should feel honored, yet. Say, George, I'm not the first one here, am I? Who else is on the show tonight? Well, there's Judy Garland. Oh, Judy. And uh, Reginald Gardner. Oh, Reggie. And uh, Joan Crawford. Oh, boy. I mean, oh, (laughs) Crawford. You know, George, a funny thing. Now, I know nearly everybody in Hollywood, and yet I've never been able to... I mean, I've never had the pleasure of meeting Miss Crawford. You haven't? No. Oh, we've been at the same places at the same time, like... Well, like the Rose Bowl game, and... (laughs) And America, but we never... But we never seem to rub elbows. Is that so? Not that I'd recognize her elbow if I rubbed it, but... Really, George, I would love to meet her. Well, Jack, your desire is about to be fulfilled. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Joan Crawford. Hello, Joan. Hello, George. Joan, I can't tell you how happy I am that you're here. Before I say another word, I want you to meet Jack Benny. He's one of your greatest fans. Fan? I'm practically a windmill. (laughs) How do you do, Mr. Benny? Uh, So glad to know you, Miss Crawford. And George is right. I've always been a great admirer of yours. Well, thank you, Jack. I called you Jack because I feel I almost know you. You do? Yes, I've heard Fred Allen speak of you so often. (laughs) Oh, you have? Well, stop staring at me. I'm sorry. Now, listen, Miss Crawford. You know, Alan has been saying a lot of things about me, but don't believe a word that comes out of his nose. (laughs) Oh, really? He's just an old foof. Uh, Jack, I hate to take sides, but I listen to your program nearly every Sunday, and I've heard you say some pretty awful things. About Alan? No, just some pretty awful things. Well, it's nice to know that you listen anyway. And by the way, Joan, I mean, you don't mind my calling you Joan, do you? Uh, No, not at all. It's such a short program, and if you can save a syllable here and there, I mean, add up. Now, I started to say, Joan, I saw your latest picture, The Shining Hour, and I thought that you... Oh, Joan, this is Judy Garland. She's been so anxious to meet you. Hello, Judy. Gosh, Miss Crawford, you're my favorite star. <laughs> the child cute. You know, Joan, as I, uh, as I was saying... Thank you so much, Judy. Now, in the shining hour, Joan, your performance... Gee, Miss Crawford, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. <laughs> well, you know, Joan, well, your performance... And perfor- I will be, too, someday. Judy, sweetheart, you're getting in my hair. <laughs> well, I won't get lost. <laughs> Goodbye, Miss Crawford. Goodbye, Judy. I'll see you later. <laughs> you know, Joan, she's a cute kid, isn't it? Now, I've been trying to tell you how enjo- I enjoyed your performance so much in the shining hour and a half. 
<laughs> it was really delightful. You know, I'm in the cinema, too. Oh, yes, I know, and I've always enjoyed you very much. You have? Mm-hmm. Well, look, if you mean that, Joan, there's a question that I'd like to ask you. It may sound silly, but it means an awful lot to me. I mean, to my career. Well, I hope I can help you, Jack. What is it? Well, look, Joan, if I'm as good in pictures as we think I am, why don't they ever cast me, well, as a lover? After all, there must be some people who think I'm attractive. Oh, there must be. Yeah. <laughs> but getting back to me being a lover, I can't understand how Paramount overlooks such a natural opportunity. I mean, I've got Gary Cooper's eyes and Don Amici's nose, Robert Taylor's overcoat, and yet <laughs> something is holding me down. You know? Well, maybe it's the overcoat. No, no, Joan. What I'm driving at is this. What is it that keeps me from being another Ronald Coleman or a Clark Gable? Oh, Jack, that's... A very delicate thing to say. But come on, tell me, Joan. I can take it, really. Jack, I, I could tell you what I think might be the reason, but I I hate to say it in front of all these people. Oh, that's all right. I won't be offended, I promise you. Take an oath. May I never live to see artists and models abroad, a Paramount picture playing at your favorite theater. <laughs> all right, then. Here goes. Uh, Jack, I, I think you're very clever and you're very talented, but you lack the most essential thing for success on the screen. I do. What is it? Sex appeal. Sex appeal. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't mean that I haven't got enough. Oh, yes, I can. <laughs> Funny, and I never even suspected it. Gee, I do the rumba, and I wear turtleneck sweaters, and I saw ecstasy. I don't... <laughs> oh, uh, Jack. I don't know. Um... Jack, let me try to explain it to you. Suppose you weren't Jack Benny. Suppose you were Ronald Coleman or Clark Gable. Oh, if you were Gable, do you think I could just stand here coldly, calmly talking to you? Well... No. Why, if you were Gable... Well, I, I couldn't stay away from you. I'd, I'd want to get closer to you, like this. I'd even want to caress your cheek, like this. And I'd want to kiss you, like this. You see... I didn't feel a thing. That's funny. I was a wreck. <laughs> I... I see what you're driving at, Joan, but when you mention Gable, don't forget you only see him on the screen where he's acting, playing a part, giving a performance. Why, it's all a matter of environment, surrounding circumstances, music, dim lights. That's what it is. Oh, no, you're wrong about that, Jack. No, I'm not. It's all atmosphere. I can prove it to you, Joan. How? Now, look. Look, I want you to close your eyes. And forget I'm Jack Benny. I mean, close your eyes and think of me as Clark Gable. You mean I should concentrate on it? Yes. Now, remember, I'm not Jack Benny. I'm Clark Gable. I'm Clark Gable. Clark Gable. Got it? Yes, Jack. All right, I'm Jack Gable. I mean, what's in a name? Now, look, we'll play a love scene together, a real fervent love scene. I'll show you that my kiss and Gable's, it's the same thing. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. All right. Now close your eyes and we'll start. Dim the lights, please. Dimmer. Music. Joan. Oh, Joan. Oh, Clark. It's really you. And I, I thought you were leaving without saying goodbye. Oh, my poor darling. My sweet. Let me dry the tears that are brimming in your eyes. My love. I should have told you sooner, but I'll be back, darling. I don't know how or when. But my heart calling to yours will sing a rhapsody in your dreams. 
though years and a thousand miles shall separate us. Oh, Jack. Yes, dear. I mean, what is it, George? Hey, Jack, you want to know something? I forgot to give you an introduction tonight. Who cares? Goodbye. Well, I can give you one right now while Miss Crawford is sleeping. She's not sleeping. Joan, are you still in the mood? I will be as soon as I close my eyes. All right, then. Let's continue. Oh, cruel fate. What exquisite agony. To meet and part with nothing left to cherish but the ecstasy of love's first kiss. Love's first kiss. And kiss me, my sweet. And I shall ever be a man whose heart has plumbed the depth. My beloved. Kiss me. To think that we may never meet again. Kiss me. To think that fate could treat me thus. Kiss me. To think Kiss that... me for heaven's sake. Oh, my love. Kiss me. Well, what do you think of that? Joan! Joan! Help! What's the matter, Jack? Was there an accident? Accident? <laughs> accident? Reviver, boys! I'm going out for a smoke. Why, Jack! Sex appeal! <laughs> Before we ring down the curtain... I'd like to thank all the artists who took part in tonight's show. The show was directed by Mitchell Lyson, and the writing supervised by Earl Brecker and Sam Perrin. Thank you for the Gulf Oil companies and the motion picture industry. This is George Murphy saying good night. Tonight's Screen Guild show was the first of a new series bringing you all the most famous artists in Hollywood. Next week, same time, same station... The good golf dealer in your neighborhood joins the golf companies in welcoming you to another Screen Guild show with Oscar Bradley's orchestra and your master of ceremonies, George Murphy. With Fred Astaire, Gino Carrado, Herbert Marshall, Franklin Pangborn, and Loretta Young in an original musical comedy directed by Ernst Lubitsch. We are grateful to MGM for Joan Crawford, Judy Garland, and George Murphy, to General Foods and Jell-O for Jack Benny. Thanks for the memory is from the motion picture of the same name. John Conti speaking. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.